Hello, everybody. Welcome again to the Nefesh podcast. This is episode five. And I uh, just want to welcome you. This is your first time. Welcome. And uh, for those of you who've, been, who've listened and been listening, thanks for joining me again. Um, the word Nefesh is, is the Hebrew for the word soul. And it has such a rich and deep meaning, particularly when we look at the Old Testament understanding of it in, in the Bible and the, the biblical Hebrew. And it reflects really all parts of our lives as the soul is integrated in all aspects of our lives, but the soul has such a, uh, there's such a depth to it as it relates to our spiritual self and our connection to uh, this divine other, this idea of God and our spiritual growth, our, our spiritual formation. And so it's, it, it encompasses the reality of, of who we are. It isn't something that is so separate from us that is beyond us, something that is just purely spiritual or abstract. It is, does in fact, uh, is integrated with all aspects of our, of our lives. And, you know, right now, um, the weather is changing and um, it's, it's mid August, late August. And, um, it's still very hot where I am. The, I can do away with the heat. I'm looking forward to the fall. The, the fall has quickly become one of my favorite seasons. Um, Thanksgiving has quickly become one of my favorite holidays. I know I, I love Christmas too, but, but Thanksgiving, there's just something about the, the fall um, as everything is changing. And though I grew up in a place in Southern California where you don't really get to see the leaves changing a whole lot. It depends upon, you know, maybe what trees you're around, but, uh, in Northern California, it's amazing how much more, uh, you know, green and trees and, and land and agriculture. And so, um, it's been really neat to see the times, uh, how the seasons change and, you know, the sun gets up later and is, is, is actually, um, uh, going down earlier. And so I just, it just feels like there's a change. And over the last couple of weeks, as I've been driving in the morning, I see the, the familiar yellow school buses as they're coming along to take kids to school, take kids back to school. Um, I'm sure the kids are not excited necessarily about that, but it, it's the sign that summer is ending and school is beginning and, and things are going back into kind of back into the rhythm of normal, maybe summer becomes that, that, uh, that playtime and rest and fun. And then everything gets back into the groove. And, you know, time is, is such a, is such an interesting construct. And it is really a human construct. I am not smart enough to try to keep up with all of those time travel movies or theories or concepts. You know, I remember as a kid watching Back to the Future one, two, and three when it came out. And you know, how how can how can this be? How can you be in the past, but then um, and and kind of you be there, but you also see your past self also there and and it's just it, it it all of that stuff my brain doesn't wrap around it you know um the time travel the the idea of 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 time being a linear construct which is really typical of of western countries and western the western world and western philosophy we tend to tend to see time 
as something that has started and is moving towards something. It's progressing towards something. And depending upon your culture or your religion, your philosophy, you may see things as either getting better or you may see things progressing towards a catastrophic end. In some cultures, they see time as, as cyclical, as, as there is a, a, re, a rebirth, a, a birth, then a then a life, then a death, and then a kind of a rebirth. And not so much in the, the idea of reincarnation, although that is part of Eastern traditions, but, but really more of, of taking that outside of it, really this idea that time is, is, is ongoing and it's, it's constantly moving, not so much marching towards something, but is, it is in an ongoing um, phase, a, a cyclical phase. We know in, in the Bible, in the Jewish and the Christian religions, we see from the very beginning in the very first book in Genesis, Genesis chapter one, it describes this being, God, creating not only everything that we see, the universe and all around us, but creating time as well, setting the day and the night into motion. And what we see in this narrative is that this God, El, and then in, in later on, uh, Yahweh, creates time for the world that he has created. And God, in this narrative, in this construct, lives or exists outside of time. And that right there is just a whole other philosophy that I can't keep up with because my mind can't grasp that idea. As human beings, we are, we are uh, bundled into an understanding of time. We mark uh, passages by time. We mark the years that we were born and every 365 and a half days, I think, is that right? You put a half in there. You, you know, you celebrate the year of your birth. As you get older, you tend to want to celebrate it less. I mean, by my, the, my 30th was a little tough. My 40th was a whole lot tougher and, and we'll just everything else from there. I'm just going to stop counting, but um, you know, kids like to count the, the birthdays, but, but as we get older, I don't know that, that, that we necessarily like to count it. There's a, a great quote from Dolly Parton in the movie Steel Magnolias. She said that, you know, that time marches on and pretty soon you'll see, you'll see it marching right all over your face. That's, that's, I don't know about you, but that's how kind of I feel like as I get older, but we, we exist in this reality of time. We're born, we live, and then we will cease in this human reality, in this, this reality as we see it, though many believe that there is an existence beyond that. In fact, most religions have some type of existence beyond that. I shared in a previous episode that the Buddhists don't really, they don't have anything beyond this, this reincarnation cycle that they see as the ongoing life and death struggle. And once you reach that point of, of enlightenment, you achieve nirvana and you, you really cease to exist. 
most other religions have some type of belief in something that exists beyond us. And, and within the, particularly the, the Christian religion, there is a belief that life goes on even after what we see in this, this dimension of death. And that beyond this life, beyond this construct of time, there exists God. God who who had no beginning and will not have an end. And we can't fathom that because our lives are just surrounded within this idea of time. And particularly in the West, we, we tend to be obsessed with time. We are constantly not only marking time, but for us in the West, punctuality being on time boy that is very very important you you know if if you really want to be on time in some situations you're going to be a few minutes early um and you're you're you tend to be conscious maybe of other people's times and and try not to take advantage or 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 keep people uh for too long you're you're we build meetings i know for me my life is built around meetings and certain times of the day and hours. And there are just certain things that we have to get done in these times. In other cultures, time is a little bit more uh, fluid. It's a little bit more loose. You can, um, to be, to be on time is to be like a half hour late. And, um, and then you stay until something is done. You're, you're not, you're not so focused on the, the rigid constructs of, of daily life and daily work as we, as people are in the West. Uh, but everybody marks, marks time, keeps time, has, again, has a, 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 to a certain extent an understanding of time that they can see. In front of us, we can see at times either those around us aging or ourselves aging. We see the, the things around us aging and the age factor only indicates uh, only reminds us of the reality that 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 we are up against time. And it often feels, I think, like we are racing against time, racing against time to get things done, racing to get deadlines, racing to get home on time, uh, trying to get through traffic, trying to uh, trying to get to certain places, trying to do things before we run out of time. There's only so uh, so many minutes in a day. Everybody has the same amount of minutes, but but uh, to some people they they may waste that time. Others they want to use every possible minute that they possibly can be. But there's still an understanding that we are up against a time constraint. I remember years ago in one of my cars I was driving home and. When I got home, I, uh, I the window, or, or I, I think I rolled down the window for whatever reason. And as I rolled it down, I was pulling up into my driveway. As I rolled it down, smoke started to come out of the side paneling where the window, it was electric window, where the window uh, control was. And it just started it just started to smoke. And so I, I quickly put it down and I thought, oh no, I looked out and it looked like it, it might rain. And I thought, what am I going to do? I think it was later in the day. I couldn't take it any place. Was I going to, um, I couldn't put it in a, uh, there was no garage to put it into. And so I thought, you know, somebody could steal my car. I could put a tarp over it, but that doesn't look good. You know, I don't want cats or other animals or 
rats or raccoons or whatever exists outside of, of my house to get in there and, and to, to do anything. So, um, and I, I've mentioned this before, I'm actually not very, very kind of nimble with, with my hands. I'm not, I just, I've struggled to be kind of careful. I could never do anything uh, with really that requires really fine detail. I just, my fingers don't, don't do that. So I managed to kind of carefully, uh, amazingly pull off the side paneling of my car. I, I pulled off the, the side paneling, kind of the plastic side paneling. And I, I, I'm not mechanical at all, but I, I usually can figure stuff out. I sometimes break it before I fix it or I break it and then I can't fix it, but I really try. I try very hard to fix what I can if there's nobody around, especially. So I, I pulled the side paneling off the door and, and I don't know how it must've been very obvious because again, I don't know what I'm doing, but I could see that some, that the plastic that connected the whatever mechanical metal to the, the other plastic part that actually is the motor that, that pushes the window up was frayed or, or it had melted. And so I thought, well, I just need to get something in there. I just need to poke it with something, maybe like a screwdriver or something. And, and if you gasped when you heard that, that was probably good because you don't want to use metal on anything electrical. And I, I'll just tell you right now, there's not a there's not a horror story to this. I didn't use metal. I didn't get shocked and almost die. Uh, so, but I thought, yeah, that's probably not a good idea. That's metal. So but I thought I need to poke it with something, something. And as I do, I need to like, I, I need to poke it with one hand and press on it. And at the other, I need to pull up on the lever to see if I can get the window up. So I found a stick. And meanwhile, I mean, it's getting dark. I've got it out there with a the flashlight. There's, there's nobody else home. It's just me. I'm out there on the side and I've got a flashlight and I'm trying to find a stick to get in there. And I, I managed to find a stick. I put the stick on the little point that that uh, is where you press that that plastic piece was missing where you press the point. And so I was going to put the stick there and then on the other side, uh, lift the lever and hope that while I'm pressing with the stick and lifting with the lever, I can get that window up. And so I began, I pressed the stick against the little button. I, I pulled my finger against the lever, the little plastic lever on the side. And all of a sudden the window works. It starts to roll up, but then it starts to smoke again. And I realized this is not good. So I am, I am panicking as I am racing against time to get this, I'm wanting to get the window up if not all the way up, at least halfway up so that I, you know, I feel a little bit better. I am pressing with the stick. I'm pulling with my other finger, the lever and smoke is coming out of the whole thing while the window is racing upwards. And somehow I managed to get the window up and pull the stick away and lift my finger off without blowing myself or my car up. Um, I was actually, and still am pretty proud of myself because that's, that's not something I do very often. And I had to take it and get it fixed. I'm surprised that I didn't like break it further, but it, this whole idea, uh, uh, this pressure against this thing is about to, I don't know what it's going to do. And I don't know what would have happened if I had kept pressing with that stick and pulling with a lever, would the thing have caught fire? That wouldn't have been good. But this feeling, this panic feeling of I got to get it done before something else happens before something bad happens before this thing blows up I'm, I'm racing against this this time 
and I've got to get it fixed because that's my only option. We live in a very rushed and hurried world. And especially as we get older, it feels like there is, it's as if we live with that reality of how, how fast time flies and how short life really is. But one of the things that we see in the Bible, in the New Testament in particular, is that Jesus was never rushed. He was never racing against time. He had a very finite amount of time. We believe that he, he lived to about 33 years old. But he was never rushed for time. And his ministry was very short. His ministry life was only maybe about three years. But he never hurried. He never rushed. He never pushed people forward. Even with the urgency that was upon him, even with what was impending, he didn't push or prod or rush or run around. He didn't worry about getting all of the things done that he was trying to get done in that day or all the ministry that he was trying to do or all the people that he was trying to care for. And I'm always amazed when I think of that and when I think of this idea of time and when I myself feel rushed and hurried and pressed, when somehow I get delayed and I'm, I'm trying to, to get to an appointment, that we live in this very confined reality of time and yet there is something, someone, and a life, a reality that exists outside of the confines of time. That we as humans right now, as embodied souls, or as souls, souls, um, souls within the, the connectedness and interconnectedness of a body, we are limited currently by time, but that there is a reality where we are not constrained by time. And I think that this is so in, in amazingly shown in, in one of the Gospels in the New Testament in Luke chapter 8. It's, it's a story that I love so much. I just think it's such a, a beautiful story where it shows compassion and care and the amazing ability to trust this being, this Jesus, whom Christians believe is God in human flesh, who was not, though in some ways was limited by time, he, he connected with and was in fact God, and so had the, be, the ability to see beyond the confines of, of time. And in this story, Jesus is traveling and 
a, a religious ruler, one of the synagogue rulers, the synagogue was kind of the local church or local gathering place back then where um, it was, it existed in various cities outside of, of Jerusalem. You could go to it, especially if you lived far away from Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem was typically in the temple in Jerusalem. That's where you went to do the feasts and the celebrate the, the various feasts and offer sacrifices. But really from a, on a day-to-day -day basis or week-to-week -week basis, you would go to your local synagogue. And one of the synagogue uh, rulers, one of the, the, the synagogues in that area, the ruler of that synagogue, he sent a servant. Actually, he didn't send a servant. He went himself. He, he came to Jesus as Jesus was traveling, the synagogue ruler. He came to Jesus and he begged Jesus to heal his 12-year-old daughter because she was dying. So by this time in Jesus's life and ministry, he was known as somebody who could heal. He was known as somebody who could uh, do things, do miraculous things that, that you know prophets of old used to be able to do, that people like Elijah in the Old Testament and Moses had been able to do. And so this synagogue ruler comes to Jesus and he says, please, will you come and heal my daughter? She is dying. And so Jesus agrees. And as he goes along the road and, and it, it says, the story tells us that the crowd is so overwhelming. Crowds always follow Jesus, um, you know, sometimes just because he fed them. But I mean, I, I think they came along for a lot of other things, but I think sometimes they just wanted a good meal. But so they're crowding around him and, and he's trying to get his way through and all of a sudden, a woman weaves her way into the crowd. And she's not an ordinary woman. She's not a woman who should have even been in the crowd. She was a, she, it was a woman who, in the story is described, had she had been bleeding. And bleeding for 12 years. It's something that she had gone to all the doctors. And the story tells us that she had spent all she had on doctors to help heal her, fix her of this bleeding issue, bleeding for 12 years. So as somebody in that community uh, who had been bleeding for 12 years, she was not supposed to go around people. This was uh, according to the Jewish uh, uh, you know, cleanliness laws, hygiene laws. If you had any type of, you know, anything coming out of your, you like, you know, pus or mucus or anything else. You were not supposed to be around people. That, that's how they really kept themselves from, from getting sick and infected. And in fact, that's, that's one of the reasons is the Jewish people over the centuries as, as they have uh, kept to those hygiene laws, particularly in the medieval period, in the Middle East, uh, the, um, during the plague, the bubonic plague, plague in Europe uh, that killed a third of Europe the, the black, uh, black death, and it, it killed over a third of Europe, but the Jewish people were largely unaffected because they kept to themselves. They were uh, usually ostracized and, and um, were kept away from, from the community, but they also practiced hygiene laws. And so if you were sick, if you were, if something was coming out of some orifice of your body, you had to go and isolate for seven days. You had to go in quarantine. 
uh, talk about kind of a, a you know, PTSD, thinking about our own quarantine challenges in, in, in COVID and coming out of COVID. Well, they, you would have to go and quarantine or, um, or you'd have to stand off from the crowd and not let anyone come by you. And you would, if anybody came by you, you would say unclean, unclean, basically stay away because you could get whatever I have on you. So this woman is bleeding. She has some type of illness that causes her to bleed and has been bleeding for 12 years. And somehow she slips into the crowd unnoticed. And she presses in to get to Jesus. And she says to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his, his robe, I know that, that he will heal me. And she does it. Somehow she's unnoticed by everybody else. And so she goes in, she touches the hem of his robe and she is healed. It says instantly in that story that she is healed. Well, Jesus, this story says that he feels something, you know, kind of like energy or something leaves him. And he says, wait, 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 who touched me? And, and of course, everybody, his disciples were like, you know, everybody touched you. You're surrounded by a crowd of people. And he's like, no, no, no. Somebody, somebody specific touched me. And I, I, when I think of the story, I, I, I feel like, man, you know, Jesus, you're really putting this woman on the spot. And especially for such an embarrassing type of illness, bleeding. I mean, that's not, that's not something I'd want to be known for. I don't, think this woman wants just leave her alone you know just just let her kind of go on her way in peace and she doesn't need to be to be notified but he's or, or to be um to be put on display but he stops and he says that i know that someone has touched me and for whatever reason maybe she she feels compelled to go to him or maybe she feels like oh man i'm gonna get caught i better just fess up she comes forward and she explains her story. And she says, I was the one who touched you. And Jesus says to her, you know, your, your, your faith has healed, has saved you. You can, you can, you can go. But at that very instant, it's as if the story kind of has this interlude or, or it's as if the story changes direction you you think jesus is going to heal this this guy's daughter but this woman this other woman kind of gets in the way and in the the moments that it takes for the woman to touch jesus for him to pause and acknowledge her the synagogue ruler's daughter dies and word is sent to the synagogue ruler that the daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. It's such a fascinating story. And it's, it's, there is no coincidence that the woman had been bleeding for 12 years. And the daughter of the synagogue ruler was 12 years old. And it's no coincidence that as Jesus pauses to acknowledge 
this woman that the other girl who's suffering dies. What would you have done in that moment if you had been the synagogue ruler, that, that father? I wonder how I would have felt if that had been somebody that I deeply loved and cared for. I remember when, when my brother passed away, he, he lived a difficult life and suffered, a, uh, suffered many, many, um, many issues, had a, had a grand mal seizure years ago that affected his memory. And then at, at a certain point, um, had a brain aneurysm, fell and hit his head, cracked his skull and was in the hospital for about a week until it was decided that we were going to pull him off life support because there was no brain activity whatsoever. And the only thing keeping him alive were the, were the machines. And we, as a family, were going to go there together as they turned off the machines so that we could be with him when he passed. And I, everybody, uh, everybody was getting there on their own and, and I was going to leave in enough time to get there and, and park and go into the hospital. And as I was on my way, I got a text from my sister that said, he's gone. I was probably 20 minutes away wasn't able to be there. I was 20 minutes too late. Wasn't able to be there when he passed. The limitations of time, the limitations of our reality are overwhelming at times. The understanding of finality and death and the things that we can't control, we, we just can't control time. We want to create movies and uh, even machines that will allow us to control or bend time against stuff that's way beyond what I can comprehend. But we so far haven't been able to do it, at least as far as I know. There's, there are so many things that are outside of our control and time is one of them. But the idea that there is a being, a God who exists outside of time and that there is life outside of this time is what can give us hope. And Jesus in this story, he is undeterred. He doesn't say, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I got caught up with this other woman. I, you know, my bad. He knows. Many theologians believe he knows that what's going on and what's going to happen as he, as he continues on. And he says, no, we're, we're going to go and it's going to be okay. And he goes to the, the synagogue ruler's house. 
and he goes in and he raises her to life. The time, the 12 years of bleeding and suffering at that moment was the epitome of that young girl's life, 12 years old, before she passed. But both on that day were given more time, new life. And in those moments, the God that exists outside of time was able to enter into human time and change time for these two individuals. The struggle that we have with, with constantly being in a rush, racing against time, trying to do all of the things that we are, we are trying to do in the limited amount of time that we have, trying to spend as much time with people that we possibly can. To a certain extent, it is futile to race against or to try to control or manipulate time. And the life that Jesus lived person that he was and is reflects a life that though he limited limited himself in a human form he also existed and did not limit himself in a reality that was above and beyond this life and it was that that understanding of who God is and who and the bigger reality that exists outside of time and space in this reality that allowed him to go from day to day, minute by minute, unhurried, unrushed, not pressed for time, that allowed him to spend time with people intentionally, spend every moment, every minute intentionally unhurried, unrushed, as if he had all the time in the world. It seems as if one of the reasons why he may have taken the time to pause and be with that woman and acknowledge her and tell her out loud that she had been healed very possibly could be so that everybody around her would know that she was healed. See, back in those days, you had to wait until your time of, of illness was over, and then you had to go and show yourself to the priest. And the priest had to, it's kind of like going to a doctor and signing off. Yes, you don't need to be in quarantine anymore. You're good to go. Is it possible that Jesus took those few moments not to embarrass her, not to put her on display? but to number one, acknowledge the miracle and her faith. And number two, to let everybody around her know that she was changed. She was different and you didn't need to stay away from her anymore. She was healed. She could now rejoin the community. She can now become a, a part of the rest of the group of society that she had been ostracized for, for 12 years, ostracized from for 12 years. 
that now she could rejoin society. You know, as we as we as we live our lives from day to day, as we mark each day and we mark time, can we can we connect with the God of God who created time for us, but who lives outside of it and who has invited us into another reality that exists beyond the limitations of this life, this time and space. And can we allow that to pervade all parts of our beings so that we would learn to walk each day, to live each day and walk in a sense of peace, in a sense of rest, unhurried, unrushed, not pressing towards some imaginary goal or something that is pushing us forward. I want to invite you, invite me, invite all of us into, into that, that space, that place to live intentionally right now in this moment, in this, in this space, understanding that there is so much more beyond what, what this life has to offer and we can take hold of that. Well, thank you for listening on this episode five of the Nefesh podcast and we will talk to you next time.